In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our study in the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is uh, one of the most important books for us because it teaches us how to pray. And one of the fathers said something beautiful. He said, the greatest gift I could ask of the Holy Spirit is to teach me how to pray. The greatest gift is to teach me how to pray. If you guys remember a long time ago when we spoke about the Psalms, we said the Psalms usually there are certain movements in the Psalm. Most of the Psalms, they move from lament to joy. They move from focus on the self to focus on the whole church. They move from the focus on Israel to focus on the whole world. So what happens in the Psalms is that you go in with all your thoughts, you're worried, you're upset, you're angry, and then something happens in prayer. It could be forgiveness, it could be God strengthen your faith, it could be a revelation, it could be a promise. Then what happens is you leave, focus on something different. And that's basically what happens in the Psalms. For today, we'll, we'll study together Psalm 5. If you guys remember quickly, the first, the book of Psalms is divided into five books. The first book, which is from Psalm 1 to 42, it's concerned of personal salvation, and it's really mainly David the prophet is the author of these Psalms. So Psalm 5 actually is a Psalm also of another individual, individual lament. Like David the prophet is telling God, Give ear to my word, O Lord, consider my meditation. It's almost somebody who feels like he's not being heard. And he's telling God, God, hear me. Consider what's inside my heart. That's how he feels. St. Augustine and St. Didymus the blind, they said this is the same cry of the church in the midst of the world. Like as we read this psalm, I could read it as my own personal psalm, or I could read it as a church. The church in the midst of a difficult world, a lot of evil, a lot of new heresies, a lot of temptations, the church is crying the same cry to God. The psalm actually is specific about worship. The psalm is specific about worship. And there is two key verses in that psalm that talks about worship, verse 3 and verse 7. Verse 3 talks about preparation for the sacrifice. It says, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct to you and I will look and I will look up. So there's a more of a commitment that tomorrow I will wake up and pray. And verse 7, which all of us should know verse 7 very well, that's the verse that we pray when we enter the church. It says, but as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In the fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. So what's happening with this psalm? This psalm, by the way, is so beautiful because this psalm is David the prophet wants to pray. And the nice thing about this psalm, he doesn't really have anything specific he wants to pray about. He just wants to pray. There's no issue happening. He just wants to pray. Okay, it's a really nice psalm. And if we look at the psalm, we can divide it into five different sections. The first one is... A prayer that God would listen. Okay? So a prayer that God would listen. The second one, 
reminding himself that even evil people cannot enter the presence of God. That's from, so let me go, I didn't tell you the verses. From verse 1 to verse 3 is a prayer that God would listen to him. From verse 4 to verse 6, that evil people cannot enter the presence of God. From verse 7 to verse 8, he expresses his desire to worship God. From verses 9 to 10, the rejection of the wicked people. From verses 11 to 12, prayer for protection or claiming protection. What's happening in this psalm before we go in? David the prayer, David the prophet wants to pray. So what is he going to do? He's going to tell God, God, I want to pray and I want to come to church tomorrow and I want to worship you and I want to offer sacrifice. I'm going to give you the story and then we'll go through it. Okay? So how is David going to prepare himself? Well, the best way to prepare yourself for prayer is prayer. So the night before coming to church, David the prophet was praying. He's telling God, God, I'm coming tomorrow to church and I want to be able to pray to you. Now, while David is praying, he's also thinking of two things. One, he's wondering who is not allowed to stand in the presence of God. And he will mention all these evil actions that people do that make them not able to stand in the presence of God. Okay? And David is going to be like, okay, well, all these people can stand in front of God, but guess what? I'm also not perfect. I'm also committed a lot of sins. So then he tells God, I will enter tomorrow because of your mercies. Because I desire to enter. And then the rest of the psalm talks about what happens when he enters. So we'll take it kind of step by step, alright? So verse 1 says to what? Verse 1 says, To the chief musician with flutes, a psalm of David, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Obviously the flute was a, was a musical instrument that mainly was used in the morning prayer. So this is a preparation for people to pray in the morning. David is telling God, God, look at two things. Look at my prayer and look at my heart, my, the meditation of my heart. What is David doing here? David wants to go to church tomorrow to pray. So he's telling God, God, look at my desire. I want to go to church tomorrow and pray. And if my desire is not as good, look at my words. You know, sometimes we cannot control our hearts. Well, most of the times we cannot control our feelings. Sometimes we can control our thoughts. But almost all of the time, I could control what I can say. So I might have difficulty in prayer to control my thoughts, but I am certain I could speak the right words. The David the prophet told God, give ear to my words. And then, so the words, David knows he's going to say the right stuff. He says, consider my meditation. Consider it. You might find something beautiful inside. You might find true desire inside, true love inside. 
you might find a cry that's inside seeking you. One time, one of the beautiful servants in the church, they were telling me like they were carrying their recently born child and they were getting into the train and the child fell from their hands. And at that moment, they were going to lose a child. But the servant told me, I cried and said, I said, Tahadra, said Mary, help. And he was like, he told me, I've never cried with my whole heart that, like this day, but also I felt somehow somebody carried the child and put it back into my head. Consider the desires of my heart. I know they're not perfect. I know they're not pure. But something wants you. And something inside of me wants you to look at it. That's what David's saying. Not every cry is a cry that is actually good. You guys know in the book of Acts, for example, when the Jews wanted to stone St. Stephen, what happened in, the, in Acts uh, chapter 757? It says, then they cried with a loud voice, stopped their ears, you know, somebody doesn't want to listen and go crazy. And they ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Not every cry is a good cry. And not every word I say is a good word if, I don't, if I'm not watchful. If you guys know in Matthew, for example, the Lord said, And I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For David the prophet knows that. But he's standing in front of God and telling God, the words will be good, the heart, something inside it that I want you to look at. He tells him, give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. David the prophet is so beautiful. He is a king. But he realizes that God is a true king. And by the way, this is not easy for me to accept that God has authority over my life and has the final say in my life. Especially when you have a lot of power, like David. We are very self-reliant in so many different ways. That for David the prophet to tell God, you are my God, you are my king. St. Augustine said, my king refers to Christ and my God refers to the Father. He's telling God, by the way, the word king always refers to the, the king as a protector. And God in the Old Testament people used to look to God as a judge. So he's telling God, you are my protector and you are the one who corrects me. You're my judge. You're the one who tells me what I've done wrong. But I love, I love what David says. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my king and my God. What is he saying? For to you I, I will pray. He's telling them, he's telling God, God, you know my voice. And I know your voice. He's not telling him David is praying. He says, my king, my God, for to you I pray. My voice. You know my voice. You know, I'll tell you something. Um, I was actually sitting with one of the fathers in the monastery, and he said something so beautiful. 
He told me that our faith is to believe that God loves us. It might be easy to believe that God exists. But to believe that God loves you the way that God says he loves you, you might not believe it. It's so good sometimes that you might not comprehend it. For David the prophet says, God knows my voice. And I'll tell you guys, sometimes when you look at, uh, at animals, for example, look at birds. You see that, at least for me, I'm not really animal oriented, but a lot of birds sound exactly the same. But somehow the mother would know the voice of her children. They all sound the same. But God knows the voice of David. I'll tell you guys something else. When David said, my king and my God, reminds us of who? Of Thomas. You guys remember Thomas when he doubted? In John 20, 25. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas said, my Lord and my God, as a way to proclaim his faith. He saw a revelation and he's proclaiming his faith in God. I cannot say my Lord and my God if I have doubts. I cannot trust that God is my king and he loves me if I don't believe fully. That's why St. James in, in chapter 5, verse 17, 18, he says, Elijah was a man, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruits. Not every person has the same faith. So David the prophet Trust in God. So what is his trust is going to do? Look at the verse 3. He says, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. Look, David the prophet is preparing himself the night before going to church. And he's telling God, God, hear my voice. Look at my heart. You are my king. You are my Lord. I pray to you. I believe in you. You know my voice. I can't wait to come to you. I'm making a promise that tomorrow I'm going to come and stand in front of you. There's a difference between you making a promise to your father of confession and to your friend and you're making a promise in prayer to God. God, I want you to help me to come tomorrow. When David the prophet is telling God, I'm going to come tomorrow to prayer, what is he talking about? If you look to Exodus 29, 42, God puts in a morning daily sacrifice. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generation at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, 
where I will meet you to speak with you. So God put a sacrifice in the morning and this sacrifice, it must be going throughout the day, morning and night. That's why a lot of the spiritual fathers will give us canons to pray the morning hour and the twelfth hour. This is nothing new. This has its own roots in the Old Testament. And that's why even the church will pray matins and vespers. David the prophet is telling God, God, I pray tonight, I'm going to go to sleep, and the first thing I'm going to do tomorrow, I'm going to pray again. Why? Because I'm persistent. Why? What do you want? I just want to talk to you. No request? No request. I'm coming tomorrow to you, God, just to say that I want you. You guys remember the story in the Gospel of Luke with the unjust uh, judge and the widow? When she kept going to him and crying and crying and crying and crying, and then the judge told her, okay, whatever your problem is, is solved. And the scripture says, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out, cry out what? Day and night to him. Though he bears long with him. What David discovered is a secret that we only discovered in the New Testament. That God wants us to speak to him day and night. Day and night. It's a very special time for me, a special reason for me to stand in front of God is because God calls me to. God wants me to. If you look in the book of Wisdom, chapter 16, verse 28, it says, In this way we learn that we too must arise before the sun to thank you and pray to you with the dawn of light. You know, sometime, I'm going to be honest with you, and this is something that's been happening to me this recently. As I'm reading the scripture recently, this past period, I feel like, the commandments of God are so clear and in front of our own eyes, but we do nothing as if we watched him with so much negligence, as if they mean nothing to us. Like the Book of Wisdom says, in that way we learn that we too must arise before the sun to thank you. How many people rise early before the sun to thank God? We read these verses as if nice to hear. God says, my will is for you to be thankful all the time in Thessalonians. How does that reflect in my life? So it's important for me to understand that the commandments of God that God has given me is for me to have a relationship with him. And David the prophet realized that the morning sacrifice, I'm going to it to receive something from God. To continue to build that relationship with God. St. Augustine says, 
The night represents the darkness that our sins have deserved. In the morning, I will understand that I have been hurt. So at night when you pray, preparing yourself for the liturgy tomorrow, you might sleep and you might feel you have not gotten your answer. But tomorrow, in the morning, you will understand that your prayer was heard. There's one word in this verse that I think the translation may be, uh, yeah, it could be better. It says, and I will look up. Then the, so the verse says, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. Actually, in another, in another translation, it says, I will wait on you. So David is going to pray in the morning to do what? To wait. So the waiting on God is not a passive action. It's an active action of asking God day and night. It's not passive. Actually, watching or waiting on God is the first sign of God's answer. What do I mean by that? When God does not answer you right away, He's basically telling you, I want you to cry day and night. More. More. Because if I have given you the answer quickly, it's usually not from me. So when God waits, God says, I'm listening. God says what? I'm listening. Look at what it says in Micah. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Habakkuk 2.1 I will stand. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. He's telling, uh, in Habakkuk he says, I'm standing and watching, waiting. Waiting for what? So God can tell me what do I need to correct. Look in Isaiah chapter, this is a beautiful verse, 21, 6. It says, For thus has the Lord said to me, Go, set a watchman, let him declare what he sees. When God wanted Isaiah to hear his voice, I'll go look, learn from somebody who waits on me. The watchman that somebody, all oh, what he does, just waits. Waits for what? Big news. What's the big news? An army coming, uh, accident happened. Big news. When is it going to happen? I don't know. Watchmen are those sometimes who wait for the morning so they can change their shifts. He's confident the morning is going to come. So David the prophet here, the first part of the psalm, he's preparing himself for prayer. He's making plans for prayer, making commitment, persistence. I will wait for you. Imagine if this is your attitude before you go to church the next morning. I will go to liturgy, I will wait, I will be persistent, I will commit, I will claim my faith. And even if God does not answer something specific, Him letting me wait is the first step of answering. Now as he recollecting his thoughts, 
He's saying, well, tomorrow I'm going to enter the presence of God himself. So who can enter the presence of God? And he's called that preparing himself for the liturgy. So he says, for you are not God who takes, takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. He's telling God, I'm going to come and stand in front of you, but you do not take pleasure in wickedness. By the way, David is not saying that he is pure, because in Psalm 143, verse 2, it says, Do not enter into your judgment with your servants, for in your sight no one living is righteous. But he's telling God, he's telling God, How can I stand in your presence? Who can stand in your presence? Especially those who are wicked, they cannot stand. Who are the wicked people? The wicked people are people who love sin and continue to live in it and ignore the voice of God. And you see this in uh, Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 19. It says, And this is condemnation, that the light has come into the world. And, the, and men loved darkness rather than the light because what their deeds were evil. Men loved darkness more than light. Wickedness. He realizes when I go to church tomorrow, I cannot be wicked. I cannot be prideful. I cannot be worker of iniquities. I'm preparing myself for church tomorrow. It's almost he wants to repent. He's offering, look at verse 5, he says, The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all works of iniquity. You know, it's this, this, whole, uh, this whole attitude that if you want to pray to God, you can pray to God anytime. Yeah, you can pray to God anytime. That's true. But you cannot... Enter the presence of God anytime. There's a lot of preparation to be done to enter the presence of God. And prayer is part of it. David said, The boastful shall not stand in your sight. Shall not stand in your sight. The person who is prideful shall not stand. If you guys remember David himself, he fell into the sin of pride. In the very last chapter of 2 Samuel, chapter 24, we studied that recently. He wanted to count the army. He wanted to count how many people are there so he can feel prideful. And that caused God to punish him with a plague. David the prophet knew that he cannot pray unless he humbles himself. That's why prayer, we call it the thermometer of our spiritual life. If pride is high, I cannot enjoy the presence of God. If I am lying and deceit, deceit, deceiving people, working with wickedness, I cannot enjoy the presence of God. I have to prepare myself. Look, then he makes a, a very a strong statement. He says, you shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. Who are the, those who speak falsehood? Here David is making a very clear statement like some of the Father's Church said. He says that God does not accept 
people who speak heresies and preach heresies to stand in front of him. I remember I was was some you know, was attending a lecture and one of the professors was claiming that Jesus is not God. He's just a man used by God. That's fine. I mean, other religions claim that as well. But it's not fine if you call yourself Christian. Because what's the difference between you and Muslim and Jews and Hindus and Buddhists? Jews are willing to call Jesus a rabbi. Muslims are calling, willing to call Jesus a prophet. The Buddhists and Hindus are willing to call Jesus a teacher. But if you are a Christian and do not call Jesus God, then why would you call yourself a Christian? People who speak heresy are in danger of being rejected in front of God. If it's not, it's not lightly that you take an idea and run with it and teach it unless you know it is a sound teaching by God. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. Remember I told you this before, St. Augustine said when, when David the prophet talks about the feeling of God, like God abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men, he's more expressing the anger and the feelings that happens in the believer's heart in response to this obedience of the commandments. So a righteous person or a person who loves God, this is how would they feel in their heart. And he would attribute this to God. But God himself does not react in feelings as if he's surprised with a certain event in life. So here, what David concluded out of all of this is that he must, he must be ready to enter the presence of God. He must be willing to enter the presence of God. And by the way, for us, there are so many verses that we can think about before we enter the presence of God. I'll give you a few. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I come to God with doubt, without faith, I cannot please Him. I cannot enter His presence. Look at what He says in Psalm 147.10. He delights not in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of men. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him and those who hope in His mercy. When somebody enters the church and they do not have reverence for the church, Somebody read the Bible and they do not read it with attention as this is the word of God. People read the Bible sitting on the bed, chewing gum, looking up, looking down. They get a text message. They leave the Bible on the side. They go, they go do this, they go do that. They make a phone call. They forgot even what they read. Most people ask them, you read the Bible? Yeah, yeah, I get a text message every day. Where is the reverence? I'm sitting in the presence of God, hearing His word. God is pleased with those who fear Him. They come to the church, 
people joking and talking in the church and the phones and the text messages and, and, and the dress code and how people dress and list of things that reflects the lack of reverence. David the prophet is preparing himself. In Colossians 3.20, he says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. I come to church, and the night before, I yelled at my parents, and I cursed at my parents, and I broke the table in the house, and, 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 and I'm coming in the presence of the Lord. In every things, give thanks, for this is the will of God. In Thessalonians, I find all my day complaining, grumbling, hating my life, blah, blah, blah. And I say, I come to church and I don't enjoy church. Well, you haven't prepared yourself. First Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. This is that, that's that you abstain from sexual immorality. People, their mind are hostage to lust and they want to come and easily Enjoy the presence of God. When love is lukewarm, when people cannot talk to God who's sitting next to them, when people doubt God's goodness and God's mercy, all that stuff, how can I come to church and be able to stand in front of God? So then you might tell me, Abuna, then I will never enter church. I will never be able to come and be ready to stand in front of God. And guess what? This is exactly what David felt. So then what is David going to do? Look at verse 7. He says, But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. David the prophet, after he sat with himself, and after he prayed, and after he told God, look at my, my heart, and look at my words, and... And coming to you requires all these beautiful things to do. I don't think I can come in. But he told him, but as for me, I will come to the house because of your mercies. And look what he said. He says, and I will worship toward your holy temple. St. Augustine says, when he says, I will worship toward your holy temple, this is the first step toward holiness. It's to worship in the right direction. To worship in the right way. And then later on, he can enter into the church, enter into the kingdom of heaven. So initially, there is fear. The first step requires the fear of you. But so when I enter the church, and I enter heaven, I get to enjoy the love of God. That's why in 1 John 4:18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect fear Cast, perfect love cast out fear because fear involves tournament, torment but he who fears has not been made perfect in love so the first step I'm going to the church I'm going with reverence, with fear when I realize that all these are requirements for me to enter church I will be like I can't meet them but I'm depending on God Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. So David realized two things. Number one, he needs the mercies of God. And number two, in order for him to approach even fulfilling these commandments, he needs God to defeat the enemies and make the path of righteousness clear in front of him. 
to make the path of righteousness clear in front of him. That's all of this, by the way, before he comes to church. He's asking God, God, fight the enemy for me. And I'll tell you, kid, something simple. God is the only one that can defeat sin on our behalf. And he does it when we spend time with him in prayer and Bible reading. If you think you're going to defeat sin without prayer and Bible reading, you are deceived. Because you cannot defeat it on your own. You might be able to be victorious for a few weeks with human efforts, but the grace of victory only comes from God. Then David the prophet, in the last, in, the, in verse 9, he says, For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inwards part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Now David telling God, God save me from those enemies. For us it's the devil. Why? Because there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Like nothing they say is actually true. Nothing they say is actually honest. You know, there's a lot of things that we hear, a lot of ideas that we hear. And people like to repeat them. But these ideas destroy our spiritual life. Destroy. Like I had somebody talk to me like last week. He says, this person, somehow he got into a relationship and the relationship did not work out. And basically, his whole argument is, why did God allow me to get into this relationship? And God knows that I will fall in that relationship and I will love that person. And this will happen. And this would happen. And that would happen. And I was like, so God gave you your mind, your will. He gave you the scripture. He gave you the sacraments. He gave you all these abilities. But you want to take zero responsibility for anything. And you want to stand and blame everything on God. That mentality goes against the spirit of humility, the spirit of repentance. But people like it these days. They like to feel they are victims. Victims of who? Of God who loves them. They're faithful. There is no faithfulness in their mouth. Good luck. Taking that victimized personality and mentality, you can't go far in life. It sounds good, it sounds nice. Now we live in a, in a world where, where people, friends, friends do not like to correct each other. Somebody will come and tell her friends, uh, oh, this guy is approaching me or this girl is approaching me and they know they're not good for them. They won't even tell them. Oh, do what you like, do what you want. There is no faithfulness in their mouth. People lying day in and day out. Look, it says, it says, their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Everything about them is terrible. The tongue is the only thing that looks nice because it's flattering. But once you enter the throat, 
is what destruction the the throat is 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 a tomb and then inside is a destruction so what looks is you see the analogy what's good is just the flattering of the tongue it looks nice from outside you enter it's a tomb you go inside it's destruction and i, I like to say this because it's it's quite important because sometimes we don't understand this when we in our days now look at people when they die they look nice Right, we put them in a nice casket and, you know, flowers around them and we make them wear a nice suit and fancy stuff. And Death is ugly either ways, but now we have some technology to make it look a bit nice. But in the old days, death was ugly. You could have a body that decays for a few days and smells and stinks and it's around with you. You can't do anything about it. So he's, this, is, this is the time of David the prophet. He's saying their, 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 their throat is a tomb. Tomb that would bury all my spiritual desires and ambition and will and all that will be buried inside when I hear these lies from people in the world. This is what David's saying. He says, pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. Obviously for us, we can take this to mean many things. It could mean heretics. It could also mean the wrong false messages that we get that makes a school off. For example, some people say, why do you have to fast so much? Fasting food makes, makes half of 90% of the youth's stomach upset. Everybody gets stomach upset because of fasting. Most people don't have time to pray. Agbeya or Bible. Excuse after excuse. But he says, pronounce them guilty. Show that these ideas are false. Show that the devil is behind these things and he is false. Or the people who try to purposely drive people away from God. And by the way, this is a common cry in the book of Revelation. The righteous, this is Revelation chapter, uh, the book of Revelation chapter 6 verses 10 says, And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge your blood on those who dwell in the earth. All those people who continue to promote evil. The judgment in this case does not necessarily mean that they perish, but at least they be corrected. At least their, their evil thoughts and ideas can be proven to be wrong. So this comes as he's asking God to help him, give him mercy to enter the, his house, and to help him to defeat those who are trying to, uh, trying to bring him away from God and to show God's way to them. Now after, after this verse, after he says, pronounce them guilty, O God, and let them... And let them, 
let them be judged by their own judgment. Now he's gonna, he's gonna go in verse 11. He says, but let those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. I almost feel like as David the prophet was seeking to enter the church, somewhere between these two verses, he entered the church and he started seeing the second judgment by those who are being judged as guilty and those who are being pronounced to be joyful. If you guys remember at the very beginning of the psalm, David the prophet felt he was alone. He told God, God, hear my voice, consider my meditation. Now what is, what is he talking about to God? He's telling him, but let those all who rejoice in you put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those who who love your name be joyful in you. You know, like a good, a good way to test yourself. See after each liturgy. What did you begin to pray with and what did you end praying with? What was your prayer like at the beginning and what was prayer like at the end? People start by focusing on themselves. Is the whole liturgy still focused on myself? Or there is a switch that happens. And you know what's that switch usually? When I start looking at God. That's why one of the Western saints, she was saying, if prayer seems like a duty, seems like a chore, seems like uh, uh, boring, it's because I'm not focused on God, but I'm focused on myself. So hopefully at some point that switch is happening. And finally, I am lifting up my heart to God. And finally, at the end of the prayer, I'm, ab I'm able to see heaven. Now David moved from being feeling alone, now to celebrating joy with the whole church. And he told him, let those who love your name be joyful in you. It's almost David standing in the church and he says, let everybody, O Lord, here in the church be happy. Because who will love God's name? Those who love the character of God. What is the character of God? Those who love patience, those who love kindness, giving, humility, kindness. Are you telling God, look at all these people here in the church and give them joy? How many times did I end the liturgy praying for every single person praying with me in the liturgy? And say, oh Lord, give them joy, give them happiness. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him with a shield. You know, I, I love the word bless. Every time you see the word bless, you can you replace it with surprise. And God will surprise the, the person. He says, and you will bless the righteous. Surprise him. Surprise him with something from your hands. Who is the righteous? Here. The person who is made worthy to enter the house of God. Because of what? Because of the mercies of God. Because of the preparation that he went through. That's why in the Psalm 103.4 he says, Who redeemed your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. So who is the righteous who gets to be crowned? with love and kindness and mercy. And he says he will surround you with a shield. 
In the old days, there were two different types of shield. A shield like you can hold when you're fighting and a bigger shield that will protect you when people will come. There's no shield that would surround you fully. This is a different type of shield. A shield that will protect you from all direction. Because remember, David the prophet told God, protect me from the evil ones who are trying to do this to me and this to me and this to me. He says, Your God will bless you because David was waiting on God to do something. He told him, I'm going to pray and I'm going to wait on you. But God says, you know, the surprise will come. Whatever surprise, especially in that prayer, you will receive. And then God will shield you from all those who attack you. The Psalms in general are a model of prayer. And this is another beautiful model of how somebody can go to God, preparing himself to go to liturgy without a specific request, but more they desiring to receive from God and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.